Today's podcast session is supported by Uphill. So if you ask a therapist who's doing clinical work what the bane of their existence is, usually progress notes are in the top one to two. I'm not naming any names, but when I was doing clinical work, I remember I had several colleagues who would get so backed up on clinical notes, so they would end up spending their nights and weekends trying just to catch up. Honestly, who wants to do that? And this is where Appeal comes in. Appeal is AI-powered case notes. Now, I know for many of us, when we hear the word AI, we're, there's like a natural skepticism. And honestly, I had that skepticism as well until I got to meet with the Appeal team and learn about some of the many ways that they are doing this in a way that is HIPAA compliant and also doesn't sell data to anyone and also protects our clients as well. You can learn more about Uphill and the awesome work that they're doing in the world uh, by going to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Uphill. And Uphill is uh, spelled U-P and then H-E-A-L, all one word. And at checkout, be sure to enter the promo code COUCH25, C-O-U-C-H, and the number 25 to get 25% off your Uphill plan for the first two months. Hello, hello. Welcome to session 206 of Selling the Couch. Hope you're having a wonderful day. So I am recording this podcast episode at the end of August, and the weather has finally started to cool from mid-90s here in Philly. It was, for some reason, just a brutally hot and humid summer, which is a little bit atypical. Now it's gone down to mid-70s and I'm like, oh, this is amazing. So I hope wherever you are, you're enjoying some pleasant weather and getting ready for that change in season and just getting ready for the holidays and all of those different things. Today's podcast topic is, I titled it Building a Sustainable Practice in a Saturated Area. And my guest is Laura Northrup. Laura is a marriage and family therapist out in Oakland, California. Her website is at lauranorthrippsychotherapy.com. She also has a bunch of different things to help us with building our private practice. And you can find that over at lauramaenorthrup.com. Laura had reached out and she was like, hey, Melvin, you know, I had created this practice out of here in Oakland. It's private pay. And, you know, as you know, like this area is really saturated. And, and I would love to share with your audience about some of the things that I've done. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And so we're covering a range of different topics. And I actually shared that I'm doing this podcast interview. So folks had a lot of questions and I try to pull out some of those questions as well from the Facebook community, which if you haven't joined, it's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash community. But we're covering a range of things. We, among them are what are some of the biggest factors that we should consider before we set up a practice in a saturated area? What's a common mistake that new clinicians make when they want to jump into private practice, but it's in a saturated area? This is actually came from one of the Selling the Couch community members. Joffrey, shout out to you. But how do you market and how do you strategically build relationships with referral sources, especially when you're in a saturated area like that? And then we get really deep into niching and I try to share honestly about some of the struggles that I'm having with niching. And I don't know, just hearing Laura, I think that was really helpful. And then we kind of 
wrap up with some of the top tips that Laura's learned along the way. I think this episode will really resonate for you, whether you are private pay or insurance based. But before we do get to today's podcast session, I just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Brighter Vision for supporting today's podcast sessions. If you are looking for just help in getting your private practice up and running and also just help building SEO and getting content on the website and all of those different things, if you feel like the thought of private uh, just building a private practice website and, and maintaining it just feels too intimidating, I encourage you to check out Brighter Vision. They've been awesome supporters of the podcast for a while. I've gotten to know them on a personal level and do trust their work. Uh, you can learn more about Brighter Vision over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Brighter Vision. And be sure to enter the promo code COUCH for your first month absolutely free. We'll get right to today's podcast conversation. Here's my conversation with Laura Northrup from lauranorthruppsychotherapy.com and lauramaynorthrup.com. Hey, Laura, welcome to Selling the Couch. Hi, Melvin. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. I'm excited for today's conversation because I know that this topic of trying to build a practice where there is a lot of competition, where you know it's something that I think a lot of clinicians, well, not a lot, but I, I think a good number of listeners of the podcast are are struggling with and wanting answers to. So I'm grateful that we're having this conversation. I wanted to kind of start right at the top, which is, you know, what are some of the factors to consider before even setting up a practice in an area that you know is saturated? Well, I think one thing to consider is that when you're building in a saturated area, I I do think it's important to have a realistic timeline of what it's actually going to take to kind of get yourself out there, build the referral network and really fill your practice. Like I know that in in a non-saturated area, part of what might fill your practice is just that you might be one of the only therapists in your town. So you might fill a lot quicker if there's sort of a a large need and not a lot of people doing the work. So definitely having a realistic timeline. And then I think some of the biggest parts of building a practice in a saturated area is really working on your niche and who your ideal clients are and then doing very strong networking. And then I would say the other big thing is I, I do think search engine optimization on your website is pretty darn important. So basically writing content on the blog that resonates with that ideal client. Yeah. So making sure that your website is very tailored to your ideal client and really expressing a lot about who you are. And you know, I think of marketing as a form of communication and branding as a form of self-expression. And so I think one of the things that's really important is to get very clear on what it is that you're offering and have that be something that's very grounded in you, that is like one of your core values and get very clear on... I mean, I really think of it on a spiritual level of like, who are you here to work with? Who do you work with where you do your best work? And then your website is kind of the place where you really put that out there. You express who you are, you express who you want to work with. And in that, because of the way that search engines work, you have to sort of tailor how that's written so that it's keyworded so that it can rank organically. Right. So you don't necessarily want to like keyword stuff, but you want to put words in there in the natural flow of conversation. Yes. And I think for search engine optimization, I mean, it's you could do many podcast episodes on it. I think one of the big things is just if people don't know what that is, that they should definitely look it up online and learn a little bit about it. Because if you want your website to be more like a business card where people get the link to it, they go to it, they learn about you, you don't need to search engine optimize your website. But if you want people to be searching for a therapist online and then find you 
through the search engine, like your website actually comes up on it, then you do need to have really strong search engine optimization. So the three that you, some of the factors you said is to have a realistic timeline. I guess I know this can vary, but like what exactly is a realistic? Are we talking like months, years? Like what? You know, I think that that really depends on how your pace is. You know, like I often say to people that working for 40 hours on your website is not unreasonable. Like, and your website could end up not even having that much text on it, but just the personal process that goes into really making something that really rings true with who you are, what you're offering, who you want to be working with. That takes a lot of deep digging inside of yourself. Yeah, it's not just, especially for our our profession, it's not just like creating a website and thinking about colors, right? It's a personal process that, like you said, it has to connect at an emotional level. And we think a lot about the words and all of those different things. And that just doesn't come up like, at least for me, it's not like a 30-minute process. Yeah. And I think a lot of people kind of get misguided with their websites where they think, okay, you know, I'm a therapist that does Hakomi work. So I'm going to have a whole page where I work really hard on describing what Hakomi is. And if you want to have a page on your website that's focused on information about the kind of work you do, I think that's great. But people don't choose you based on what it is, the the modality that you're using. That's Mm -hmm. a factor. But people really make choices about the kind of therapist they're going to work work with based on a shared value system. So if it was the case that people were choosing their therapist just based on location and modality, they would, you know, go to the internet, type in CBT, Oakland, California, and work with the first person who came up. But what I mean, I think a thing we don't really talk about very much is what people are doing when they look at the website. They're really trying to get a sense of, do I resonate with this person? Do we have shared values? Do I feel a sense of trust? Do I feel like this person's going to understand me? And that, I think, is really the bulk of what you need to be doing with your website is, is really making a connection with someone else. I think when we're building websites, we forget this, but this is actually kind of our superpower as clinicians, right? That ability to connect and speak to a person at a deeper level. Absolutely. I think another kind of mistake people make with their websites is they get really, really caught up in what their colleagues are going to think. And so they're really building their website to sort of make themselves feel less vulnerable with their colleagues. Like, look, I sound smart or look, I know how to describe this method you are trying to reach out to people who are in pain and, you know, are in your niche. And, and that's really who you want to be writing to. Wow. I, that's actually really powerful. I'm glad you distinguished that because I know that this is something that I struggle with, right? Like I want to be perceived a certain way in front of colleagues. And you're right. Like, that's a good question to ask. Am I writing my content to like, please, or to seem smart in front of colleagues or am I really writing to my ideal client? Oh yeah. And sometimes people make their websites and when you really think about it, you're like, I'm writing this so that my mom won't judge me. Or like, I'm writing this so that, you know, people I went to high school with will think I, you know, it's, it's like, there can be a lot of kind of these sort of random people that we are judging ourselves in, in front of, and you're really writing your website to the people who you're going to work with. So I, I think the one thing I'm taking away, if anything, take a moment to take a step back and answer that question of who is my ideal client? Am I writing this content to them versus some other person or source? Mm -hmm. You started answering this, which I kind of want to just articulate a little bit more, which is what do you think is a common mistake that new clinicians make when they want to actually jump into a private practice, but it is in a saturated area? Yeah. So one of the things that I think 
is a really common mistake is, you know, when you're in a saturated market, there's obviously a lot of other people to compare yourself to. And I think it's easy for clinicians to feel like other therapists are sort of their enemy or become competitive with them and maybe do a lot of comparing or feel like they only want to network with clinicians who don't do the same kind of work as them. Because, you know, it's like, I'm the one who does this and you're the one who does that. And then we refer each other, the, you know, the people who, whatever, are ideal people. I actually really think that your referral network, the, that a lot of the people in it need to be people who are actually doing a very similar style of work to you and a very similar niche. And one of the reasons why I think that is, is, I mean, just in terms of really practicality, when you network with someone whose practice is full and they do the exact same thing as you, they are going to send the clients to you that they can't work with. So that's just a <laughs> right off the bat. But also by their marketing and the work they're doing to bring people into their practice, it's almost like it's your marketing too. You know, like you're sort of building a crew with like, we all work with disordered eating. And so we're connecting each other and sort of supporting each other to connect with our connections. Does that, I don't know if that makes sense, but I think it does. Yeah, it's almost like, I guess, see, see colleagues as connection and as your like support network as opposed to like competition. I think that's what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing about, you know, I mean, I think sort of the the shadow side of being in a saturated market when your practice isn't doing that well is that sometimes it can feel nice to be around other clinicians who aren't doing very well as well and kind of be in a little echo chamber of like, it's so hard and it's so bad. And while I think it's great to like blow off steam and be honest about how hard it is, you do want to be networking with people who are also succeeding. And that does require an ability to tolerate you know, a little bit of feeling of inferiority and sometimes feelings of shame of like, okay, you know, we started our practice at the same time and maybe you got your website up faster or whatever, but you want to be around people who are going to refer you clients is kind of one of the things. And I think also it's, it's really helpful to be around people who are succeeding because it can also just sort of uplift and show the possibility of success. Uh, how do you, I guess, really silly question, how do you find those people? So I'm all about building real relationships. Like, when you're doing face-to-face -face networking and you just meet someone for coffee, you have to be an incredibly charismatic person to meet someone once for coffee and be someone that they now refer to. So I think I'm also really into marketing in a way that really suits your personality. So, you know, for people who take a longer time to open up, people who are introverted, yeah, I think honestly, for people who are extroverted too, being in a consultation group is a really great way to get to have people know your work, they trust you. You know, when I make a referral to someone in my consultation group, I make a way stronger referral. Mm -hmm. Like I say, this person is a very skilled clinician. I really recommend you call them. As opposed to, this is somebody that someone told me is good. You know, I don't really know much about their work. So I think a, a big part of that is, is actually getting into consult groups. And you can go to a consult group that's a paid consult group. That's a, a great way to meet people. But you can also start your own consult group. And you can start that by just putting out an email on like a listserv, you know, inviting people to join you at a certain time of the week and, and build your own. Yeah. I mean, it seems like, I mean, I'm glad you're making that point because I think you're right. Like, I think a lot of times we assume like, oh, if we just do like a one coffee meeting, like that's going to be like, you know, one referral source down and when, you know, 10 to go. Right. And you're right. Like, I think 
the human element and the human connection get, gets lost in that. Because I know for for me, it's like when I think about like referring clients out, like, you know, they're my clients, like I care about them and I want to give them to someone that I know will take good care of them, right? And I don't know for me, I can always get that from like one coffee meeting or something, you know? Absolutely. And that even ties into another strong feeling I have about sort of building your practice is it's really important to give really good referrals. I mean, I think what you're saying kind of that you're really thinking about, you know, who would be a great fit for this person and and not just like, oh, well, I met that person for coffee, so I should refer someone to them. So they're referring to me, you know, like you want to be making referrals that you can really stand by. Yeah, no, absolutely. I guess it's sort of the the give and take nature, right? So it's not just about you getting your ideal clients, but making sure that you have a good solid network by which you can refer out clients as well. Yeah. And I know that referring clients, it, you know, it can take some work. Someone calls you, you that the, the, the timing doesn't work. You know, maybe you're reaching out to a few of the people you regularly refer to, ask if they have space. Like you might actually do a little bit of work. And I know that I think it can, it can take effort and it can feel like I'm not getting paid for this, but I really also kind of preach this. That's a part of your job. Mm -hmm. And when you make a really good referral to someone, you are also kind of saying to them, Hey, I'm still out here. We're still connected. I think about you, you think about me, you know, I mean, I think it's, it's all kind of about building this relationship in this community and building yourself into a place where people really think about you and, and then refer to you. Laura, I wanted to shift a little bit and talk about this whole area of niching, which I feel like this could be a multi podcast episode session thing. But I was like curious to hear about your thoughts about niching, especially when you are in a more saturated market. So really basic question first, like, is there wisdom in niching? Oh my gosh, yes. Niching is 100% what you want to do, especially if you're in a saturated market. And does it make sense to niche whether you take insurance or private pay? Like, well, what are your thoughts on that? I'm really into, I want everyone to build the practice that is going to allow them to do this work without burning out. And so one of the reasons I do think it's good to niche is that part of your niche is your ideal client as well. And even down to the type of personality that's the best fit for you to work with. And so I think regardless of whether you're, you know, private pay or on an insurance panel, it's a great idea to have a niche. The other thing is when you are very clear about your niche and your website is 100%, you know, kind of geared towards it and everyone you talk to is geared towards it, people will still call you that are outside of your niche. It happens all the time. And it'll be because there's something about what you said that resonates with them, even though it's not... You know, I also kind of think like when, you, when you're when you just more and more yourself. So one thing people get afraid of, I'll just back up. People get afraid of being too narrow. And they think, I should just say I work with anxiety and depression because everyone has that. But everybody works with anxiety depression and depression. You know, if you're like... If you're saying I work with anxiety and depression, it's not really like hooking someone in. But if you get really clear on you know, why you're doing this work and you express that on your website and you get very clear on who you work with and someone comes along and they have anxiety and depression and maybe they don't have that really particular kind of social anxiety that you specialize in, but there's just something about your website that really is exuding sort of a certain confidence about around your values and around how you work and they have some kind of anxiety. It's often, I think I, often people will call you outside of your niche. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. The things sometimes that we think is going to resonate with clients, it actually could be something else that totally like different that could resonate with somebody that we didn't envision as a client. For sure. So I wanted to just be completely honest with you, which is this is something I've been struggling with recently in private practice because 
through a lot of like soul searching and things, I, I decided I wanted to work with entrepreneurs and leaders and this whole like, and then I was like, that seems a little too broad. So these like past weeks, I've been like thinking a lot, like, you know, who within that segment, like who am I passionate about, right? Like, so for example, entrepreneurs of color or entrepreneurs of like entrepreneurs that are, or what I call parentpreneurs. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Or even like, and I've thought even, even deeper, which I'll tell you this niche, but I'm like, I'm terrified because I'm like, is this too narrow, right? Oh my God. I want to hear it. (laughs) So I specifically would be interested in working with entrepreneurs that are parents of preemies. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Because that's like me, right? Like, so our daughter came almost eight weeks early and it completely warped my life in terms of my entrepreneurial life, my sleep life, my, you know, every life. And I don't know, there was just some unique challenges that I felt like, you know, whether it's the NICU stay, whether it's these follow-up appointments to make sure she's, you know, developmentally on target all the while balancing these appointments and trying to do the entrepreneurial thing, you know? And so that's something, but then I, then there's the fear part of me. I'm like, oh my gosh, that is way too niched, Mel. Like, you know, who's going to, you know, who's going to find that? Yeah. I mean, so one thing I also always say to people is like, you can put it on your website, you can make it your niche. And if you need to change it later, you can, especially if you built your own website or if you have like pretty easy access to changing your website. I mean, you could just kind of have a freak out and go change it one day, which hopefully you'll think more through it. You know, I think that I actually don't think that's too niche. I think that it depends on the area you're in. I would do a little bit of research about how many people, like how many preemie babies are born sort of percentage wise, because I actually don't, I don't know. Well, yeah. And I mean, I think there's a lot of, I think a lot of babies are born prematurely. So I don't think this is too niche. The other thing is that as long as you're kind of open to flexibility on how that, like there will be people who will contact you who are not self-employed and have, and have a preemie baby. There will be people who will contact you and their partner is an entrepreneur and they're maybe the stay-at-home parent or that they're not a stay-at-home parent, but you know, they want to work with you because you might understand their partner more. I think there's it and you know, I know that you do a lot of different things. So if you have like sort of a smaller number of people who you're actually doing one-on-one clinical work with, you could also, I think, have a niche like that and just have it be exactly entrepreneurs who are parents to preemies. Yeah, no, I'm glad you said that because I I'm in one I, I trust your wisdom and knowledge on this and I think this is something, and that was my question of like, how do you figure out like how much to niche and what is too much, you know? I mean, I I don't know if people, if this is said in the podcast yet, but I live in the Bay Area. So I work in an extremely saturated area. I am so niched. I mean, I'm just, I'm all about, I am on my website, it says characteristics of the people I want to work with. I'm looking at your website and you really, you have literally on your homepage, my specialties include adult children, alcoholics, codependency. Oh yeah. Facing activists, social justice organizers, right? Sexual abuse. Like, and so polyamory, non-monogamous, like alternate, like you're very specific. Yeah. And also you don't have to read it out loud, but if we, if you look at more of it, it even gets down to, you know, I want to work with people who are living outside the margins of society, you know, are non-conformists or artists or creatives, or just are people who are really trying to, my big thing is I want to work with people who are into really living the fullest expression of themselves, who also, you know, are somewhat politically minded. I mean, not someone, I love working with people who are politically minded and are thinking, you know, like, how can I be my full self and also really support liberation in the world? And I think when you read my website, you kind of get the vibe. 
but so I'm, I'm big into deep niching is my, <laughs> yeah. Is your, your, and I think, I don't know, as we're talking about this, I think the one thing that has resonated for me is, I mean, part of this, I think is experimenting, but part of this is instead of, for me, it's like, instead of fighting like myself, maybe I should just put this out there, you know, uh, as opposed yeah. to like always trying to like, oh, you know, cause which, which I do is like, oh, this is too niche. This is not niche enough. Like this is the constant battle in my head, you know? So much of our marketing and so much of building a practice is about confidence or about the courage, the courage to just take the step and, and try it. And I mean, just so much of it is about that. And, you know, like I'm just sitting here thinking, if you know that that's who you really, really, really want to be working with, what is stopping you from trying? Hmm. Right. Myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no, thank you for that. Cause I think like I really needed to hear that. And I think hopefully folks that are listening need to hear that as well, especially if you're in a situation where you're like, man, I, what should I niche down or what should I go, you know? Yeah. I mean, another thing that I think is really valuable to remember, and I'm, it's kind of a, this is a hard one to follow up what I just said, but like failure is one of our greatest teachers. Mm -hmm. And if you fail, you know, there's a beautiful kind of to be able to be humble and really take the lesson from mm -hmm. the failure, I think is, is valuable. And it might not be that you fail because you put yourself out there and made this really specific niche. It could be that you made the specific niche and then you stopped marketing yourself because you were so terrified of, of your, Niche. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, there's a lot of ways we can hold ourselves back that we have to learn from. The joys of being a small business owner. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to kind of shift a little bit and ask you this final area, which is, you know, I think it's one thing to get those initial clients, especially like in a saturated market, but especially when it's a saturated market, how do you, do you have like any like kind of like top three tips that you would say in terms of sustaining a private pay practice in an area that is saturated? So how do you, you know, continuously get like a, a good flow of ideal clients. Yeah. So in terms of sustaining, I'm one of my, probably the top thing I would say that I basically have already said is build actual relationships with your referral network. They're not just superficial ones, really build, build true relationships. And then the second thing I would say is choose one marketing tactic and do it really well. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do them all and it will burn you out to like write a blog, run two consult groups, do workshops, you know, have... <laughs> Uh, whatever, all these things, unless you're really kind of measuring your time well. But I think really just choosing one marketing tactic and doing it really, really well is a great way to sustain yourself. And I would say do one that you love. If you do not like writing a blog, don't do one. But if you are maybe more introverted and you love like writing and really expressing yourself in that way, I would say, you know, get deep on your blog. And then let's see, the last thing, I mean, I think having the strong SEO on your website, but maybe the one other thing I would say is I think listservs are actually a really valuable place to be engaging with. But my recommendation is to be on one or two listservs and actually engage with it. Like don't be on a million with of them. And if you can tolerate it, don't do the digest of the listserv where you're just kind of getting the topics once a day. Like actually be on the listserv and and part of this is because you're letting people know your name and your thoughts and interacting with a community long-term. And I actually do think that that makes a difference. And I think that should be a niched listserv too. Interesting. How do you, I guess, any tips on strategies and where to find these listservs? And I'm guessing listservs also could potentially mean like online communities, like these sure. groups, that kind of stuff. 
Sure. I think the reason why the an email list is good is because it goes right to someone's inbox. And with Facebook, it's like, you know, it's hit or miss whether they're going to look at that page. But for example, in your case, a listserv that's for people who specialize in parents would be a, that you don't need to get so niche down, but like that would be great. Or a listserv with, you know, coaches and therapists who work with entrepreneurs. And then, and then within that listserv, you know, You've got your referral network. That's the people who are your in-person people. But it's, it, I do think it's useful to make sort of, those are people who they may enter your world more closely, but for now they're, you're just interacting with them on a listserv and, you know, they know that you work with, you know, entrepreneurs who have preemie babies. Like that's a very specific niche there. It's not like they're going to get confused with 20 other people who do the same thing. And when you are sending out your emails or kind of looking for referrals, like you're, you're, you're letting them know about you. And that's almost like the beginning of the relationship. And it is possible that later those people will be even closer in, in your referral network. But, you know, sometimes we do refer to people who we don't know. Like, for example, if it's a niche that's like, I just don't know anyone who works with that. So I am going to go to my listserv and kind of get some names. And maybe if it's somebody who I've been on the listserv with for the last year, and I really, I think a lot of the things they've said are interesting on the listserv, I might be more likely to consider referring to them. Got it. I wanted to ask, so this is really the last question. <laughs> so I, as I shared with you, I actually posted this in the, in the Selling the Couch Facebook community this morning that we were having this conversation and there's a lot of really good conversation that's happening there. So if you guys haven't joined, be sure to, but I wanted to just pull one of these questions, which, which I'm just going to pick at random because there were some really good ones. So this is a question from Joffrey who says, how do you figure out where will you get guidance on ways to predetermine with whom we're likely to get the most benefit from face-to-face networking as opposed to just a guess and hope approach? And I think you started speaking about this at the right at the beginning. So I guess, how do you be strategic in terms of who you network with that's related to, you know, niche and your... So the first thing I would do is try and network with people who do the same thing as me. And that's also a really easy intro. Let's say it's someone you don't know that well, or you've never met, and you know maybe you see maybe you're on a listserv with them, and you see them send an email out, and you reply and say, "Hey, I looked at your website. It sounds like we have a lot of similarities. I would love to connect with you sometime for coffee." And be aware, some people are too busy, and will say no, or will say yes, and then never schedule with you. But some people will, you know. So I think one piece is networking with the first piece is networking with people who are similar niche, and then I would say network with people who you actually think you could build a real relationship with. Like if you're networking with someone and there's not not a click or there's nothing about the two of you that sort of vibes together, maybe you met them at a conference and you're like, oh, I know you have a successful practice, but we don't actually have any chemistry with each other. Like people refer to people who they trust, who they, you know, have a shared value with, who they know your work. So I think going for people who you actually want to be around, who you have good chemistry with. And then the last thing I would say is, you know, I think when it comes to networking, like really networking with people who you see actually really on point with doing the work to build a practice. So they either have a sustainable practice already or yeah, just where you're kind of getting a vibe that this person is, is active, is motivated because, you know, there are therapists who just do not make referrals. You know, I would want to obviously network with someone who takes the time to make a referral. Yeah. They, I guess it's sort of, to me, it's like maybe that has like more of an abundance mindset. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and of course there could be reasons why they're not making referrals, but it seems like that's sort of the underlying thing. Like folks that who see sort of the ultimate goal is to serve in our community. 
you know. Yeah. And there are reasons. I mean, some people like, for example, if somebody has a newborn child, they might be like, you know what, I'm going to do the minimum referrals that I have to do right now. I'm, I'm very busy. But yeah, just a general kind of when people are, you know, really at it with their business, are they making referrals? Got it. Laura, I'm just so grateful for you. I'm grateful that we are in two different parts of the country and we've been able to connect on a podcast and just grateful for the work that you're doing in the world. Where can we learn more about you? And please share about this awesome class and stuff that you're creating. Yeah. So you can learn more about me. I have two websites. I have Laura May, May with an E, Northrup.com is my website that is about my podcast, which I made a podcast that's on people who are using entheogens and psychedelics to heal sexual trauma. And that's also where you can find, I made an online course that is all about building a sustainable private practice as a healer. And it's very oriented towards being a therapist, but it also kind of works for, I think, just generally people who do healing work. And then my therapy website, which is linked on that website, is lauranorthrappsychotherapy.com. Perfect. And I'll be sure to link to that. Laura, I'm so grateful for you. Thank you again for doing this. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Melvin. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Bye. Bye. Hey there, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Laura. And especially if you're in a season where you're either in a saturated market or you're struggling with trying to find a niche and figuring out how much to niche down, I hope that today's podcast session has been particularly helpful for you. I know for me, I think more than anything, it just gave me courage to own the niches and the areas that I have passion for and just to to put it out into the world. I think for me, I'm such a planner and sometimes it's my double-edged sword. So I feel like one of my strengths is being able to plan well and manage my time well. But the other side of it is that I tend to over-plan and over-analyze. And so there can be times, especially if I don't check myself, where I actually never put that plan into action. Laura mentioned a number of resources and you can find that over on the show notes page over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 206. And Laura has a course as well if you're interested in learning how to build a sustainable, successful private practice over at lauramaynorthrup.com forward slash courses. And she actually has a promo code just for us. You can enter the promo codes couch and the number one five and you get 15% off the listed price of the course. So it's C-O-U-C-H and the number one five, uh, no spaces in between. As we wrap up again, wanted to thank the team over at Brighter Vision for supporting today's podcast session. Brighter Vision is this company, again, that helps us to create beautiful websites. And one of the things that Brighter Vision, one of the cool features is they work with Hushmail, which is a previous podcast supporter as well. And Hushmail is a company that helps to create HIPAA compliant email. And so they actually, on one of their tiers, you can actually add HIPAA compliant contact forms on your website so that when clients reach out to you and they're sharing like clinical information, all of that secure and encrypted. You can learn more about Brighter Vision and the good services that they provide over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Brighter Vision. Have a great rest of your week and I'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com.
So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while, or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of, Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business. Just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.